I'm going to shuffle things around. There's a whole elaborate setup here for for the morning. Um, all right. Got to get the cords out of the way or I'm surely going to trip over them. Let's, uh, let's, oh, actually, if you are a small child, I think it is kindergarten or preschool, which is it? Kindergarten, preschool? Three through kindergarten. This would be the time to head for the uh, back. Someone is taking you downstairs for Children's Church, but I didn't see who because I was busy shuffling equipment. Um, let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would, uh, pray that you'd be with us this morning. I pray that you would. Um, be with me, Lord, as I as I kind of try and unpack this text, and help me to help me to be faithful in doing so. Um, I pray that you be with the folks who are here, that they would hear from you, um, that they would know you more by hearing the hearing the word preached today, Lord. I, I pray that your Spirit would would rain down on this place and and water the soil of our hearts, Lord. That that the seeds planted through the the preaching of the word would grow into a into a great harvest. In Christ's name, Amen. Uh, so, I am uh, dealing with a, a strange thing right now, uh, grappling with it. I have, a, uh, I have a five-year-old, Titus. Some of you all have seen him or heard him or, or, or tripped over him. Um, and and it, it, this actually started with Abby, where, where Abigail, my wonderful little girl, um, when we moved to Montana, Abby came to work with me every day, and she she was a baby then, and so she would crawl around the office or like you know move around as best she could. I, I guess she was walking at that point, um, and and there was always sort of this give and take where dealing with Abby as a child and working could be challenging, and then there was a day when she reached a certain age when she went to kindergarten, and suddenly my office was empty. And that was that was bittersweet. I don't know. Probably some of the parents in the room can identify with this. That that joyful but painful moment when they leave, um, and and Titus, you know, like filled in that gap. And Titus he sits in my lap while I read and while I while I uh, study. And actually, he he sometimes will, you know, I was stretched out on the couch in my office a few weeks ago reading um, the the notes I had printed up and highlighting. And he laid on my chest and took the highlighter away and said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this with you, Dad," and and made me very non-productive. Um, these are great things, but there's gonna be a day when he's gonna go to kindergarten, and that's about eight months away, six months away, maybe, right? And he'll be gone, and my office will be empty, and we're not going to have any more children. Um, <laughs> and and. That quiet is going to be there. And, like, I'm going to watch him go to – I'm going to drop him off. I'm going to walk him to his class. And he's going to step away from me, and I will, I will have joy and I will have sorrow, right? Um, and I know there are a lot of folks here who have had kids go off to school or who have married children off. Or, and actually it's given me a perspective. When my father-in-law performed the wedding, my wife and I, our wedding, um, and, and he, he, was, he was very tearful. And, and that perspective of, like, I'm giving her away, but I'm getting rid of her, you know. Like, I, I, I love her so much, and I want her here, but she's leaving, and, and she's not going to be my little girl. And this is a real thing. Like, and, and the reason I'm starting with this, and there's a reason. I'm not just telling stories. Um, 
the reason I'm starting with this is, as we dive into our, our text, this is a joyful and sorrowful passage. And actually, this entire series, um, I picked it because I noticed a pattern, and, and then I started studying it, and I realized that, like, even though pretty much everybody knows there's a pattern there, nobody knows why. Um, I haven't found a single solid explanation. And as I've dug into it and, like, chewed on it and slept on it and prayed about it, I think... I think the pattern there is one of joy and sorrow, okay? And so Jeremy preached the first sermon in this series. He was lucky. He got the easy one of the three. Um, and I, I, this one is the next. Like, during the time, like, right at Matthew 16, in the midpoint of Matthew 16, um, the chapter starts with Peter confessing Christ and saying, you are the rock, or Christ says, well, Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Christ responds, you know, you're correct, and it's not by human, you know, means that you said this. This is from the Holy Spirit, and, you know, on this rock I will build my church. And then, like, immediately, that's the hinge in the book, right? Like, that's the point where the plot kicks into high gear. Because from this point forward, like, that confession to the end of the book is, or actually until they get to Jerusalem, is the run to the cross, right? And... And the whole tone changes, the way it's written, that's just the hinge point in the book. And, and so we're heading toward the cross, and on the way there, during the trip to Jerusalem, Christ predicts his death three times formally. Technically, it's like six times, but like there's three really formal stop and announce moments. Last week, Jeremy talked about one. We're going to talk about the next one today. Um, all of the Gospels record these predictions. They're, um, they are what they are. I mean, the, the disciples you know, carried the weight of this. This was a very prominent thing in their minds. They knew this was coming. Christ knew what was happening. And so this is a big deal. And we'll look at some of the other, um, some of the other uh, phrasings from the other uh, Gospels this morning for our two verses. So two verses. Let's see if we can do it in under 55 minutes. Uh, <laughs> so there's actually a little bit before there. There's the transfiguration, which we'll read, and there's the healing of a demon-possessed boy. These are huge, huge things, and they're moments of glory and authority for Christ. And, and we'll get into why that matters, but it's important to know these two events are huge, and they're part of the journey to Jerusalem. So, our two verses for the day. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. Okay, so he said roughly something similar to this, but he adds a couple of things here. First off, um, he adds in that they're, like that he'll be handed over, he'll be delivered into the hands of men. This is an oddball phrasing, and I'm reading from the NIV. Um, a lot of other translations render this instead of delivered into the hands of men betrayed into the hands of men because the word i mean it's kind of a coin toss right like it's you're reading context and you're and and like this is a little more of a like um loose translation the tighter translation might be like betrayed and so he reveals to him hey somebody's gonna betray me somebody's gonna turn their back on me this is coming um and that's a big deal um the other thing is that he mentions the resurrection and that's also a big deal um, and the disciples' reaction. Because the first one, Jesus' reaction to Peter is, Peter pulls him aside and says, not going to happen. It'll never happen. We'll never let you. And Jesus says, 
get behind me, Satan. You know, I, 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 I mean, that's a powerful engaging. And, and Jeremy unpacked that. If you're interested in seeing um, a little more or reviewing that, if you weren't here last week, it's on the Facebook page. You can watch the sermon. It's actually a really good sermon. Jeremy gets better every time he preaches. Um, it's fantastic. And, and so, but back to it, like their first response was not going to happen. It will not happen. It will not happen. And Jesus rebuked him this time around it. Gosh, that's awful. Right. And actually, as I was studying this particular little chunk of the verse, one of the things I kept coming across was comparing this to, to a loved one coming home with news of cancer. Right. Like our our stage four late term, you know, and this awful news. And a lot of times, like there are all these stages of grief people go through, and anger is one of them, right? And Peter's response was angry or or denying. And then this one is just grief, like, oh, man. Which is funny because it's like they miss half of what he says. Um, And there's a reason for that. And actually Mark and Luke, like, kind of touch on this. But they left that place and passed through Galilee because they're actually gathering up and about to go on to Jerusalem, um, Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. And he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. And here's the important thing. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. Um, There is an element where the disciples would hear Jesus say stuff, and they'd look at him, and they'd be like, I don't get it. Right. And I sort of feel like maybe that's how I feel with my kids sometimes when you tell them, all right, guys, here's what you're going to do. You're going to clean up. You're going to get dressed. You're going to make your bed. You're going to get ready for school. And they look at you like you just spoke Latin. You know, I don't understand what just happened. And it's like, I couldn't be clearer, but, you know, they don't get it. And in this instance, what we understand, the Gospels kind of present this idea is a lot of times the disciples didn't get it when he said things just straight up in their face because... Like either their own desire or their own um, will or their own agenda or like what, whatever kind of got in the way. Part of it, I think, is the Holy Spirit in this instance. I think the Holy Spirit needed to feed them this knowledge or they just weren't going to get it. Like, like um, the Holy Spirit needed to explain it or they weren't going to understand. And I think that happens later. But also because I think they reacted sad. Right? Like you're going to die. You're going to die. And... There are a lot of reasons why this is a big deal. Like, the disciples, they're kind of, for the most part, like a a collection of losers. And I don't mean to say that to be hard on them, but, like, it's the truth. Peter, James, and John were fishermen, and that's all they were ever going to be. James and John might have been wealthier later in life, right? Like, because we know John was influential. He was a son of a merchant, and, like, that he had you know, relationships around. But these guys, like, they were people who were not good enough to be in religious school. They were not good enough to follow a rabbi. They were not good enough, you know, for for all sorts of things. And so they went to labor. Um, You go to a guy like Matthew, and oh my gosh, Matthew's a tax collector. Like, he's a national traitor. Um, I mean, we don't like tax collectors now. Oh my gosh, they killed them sometimes then. (laughs) You know, like, they would walk up to him in crowds and stab him to death, you know, it they were super not liked. Um, and so for Jesus to have called these guys, which is a reversal of the order, usually um, a rabbi, you know, you wouldn't say follow me. You would ask if you could follow a rabbi, and the rabbi would say yes or no. And so, like, the fact that this rabbi came and said follow me, this is a huge deal to these guys. They are living in a whole other world where all of a sudden God has stepped into their 
lives and been real and in their face. He's performing miracles. And he's feeding 5,000 people and he's, he's doing all of this stuff. And then he turns to him and says, guys, the day is coming. I'm going to be killed. And how do they react? Oh, no. This is bad. They love this guy. And they find out he's going to die. And so then everything else, they don't hear them. You guys ever get that? Like where somebody will start talking to you and the first part of what they say is so strong that you don't hear another word that comes out of their mouth? Um, Husbands, I'm sure all of us experience this with our wives, right? She starts talking, you hear the first word or the first two words and everything else is nothing. You don't hear a word of it. Um, I have the problem where I don't hear anything. Um, This is Luke and Luke ends his passage somewhat similar, right? But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, so they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. Again, like they just didn't get this obvious prediction. I'm going to be delivered into the hands of men. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to rise again on the third day. Nothing. Right? Nothing. Um, I'm going to offer some context as to why this might be the case. We go all the way back to the beginning of Matthew 17. This is like like just a few verses before, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led him up to, or excuse me, led him up on a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And then appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, we will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Which, by the way, is why Peter is awesome, because he says the dumbest thing in just about every situation he can be in. Like, he, they see the miraculous appearing of, like, you know, Elijah and Moses, the two big rock stars of the Old Testament. And his first thought is, hey, how about if we set up a house for you guys? <laughs> really? <laughs> And the significance of this is lost on him. Jesus is standing between the representative of the law and the representative of the prophets. And, like, there's this thing that's being communicated. Like, it's all about to come together. And it's explaining that Jesus is glorious, that he is, like, like he's above these guys, even though they were the rock stars of the Old Testament. Um, Jesus is more important. So this appearance is glorious and it is visually glorious because he shines like a light bulb and, you know, they're staring at him and they're like, we should set up a temple here and worship you right here. And, but when the disciples heard this, they fell face down, uh, and were, golly, did I just actually screw up that passage? Um, I did. I cut out the middle. I'm sorry. Um, did I not read the, oh, thank you, sweetheart. Um, oops. When he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Um, this is actually a quote from the book of Psalms. It's a uh, coronation psalm. It was what you would sing on the day that you coronated a new king. And so, like, there's this emphasis of Christ's, like, authority and his power and his glory, right? This is, this is the Super Bowl win. Right? Like this is the big moment where it is obvious that Jesus just isn't some ordinary guy. He is God. He is the Son of God. Like he is right there in front of them in power and glory and everything else. Um, and so fresh in their minds is this wow, he's something else. Like this is a big deal. Um, when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Do not be afraid. 
When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone about what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Um, The disciples asked him, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. And the disciples understood that, what he, that he was talking about John the Baptist. Now, real quick, they turn around and they're confused by what just happened. Oh my gosh, what was that? We just saw you glorified. We heard God talk and say you were his son. Like, what is this? And Jesus gives them an answer and they still don't understand. And so they start grasping at straws. Did you ever meet somebody who would like pull out something from eighth grade science because they didn't understand what was going on? And you look at him and you think, well, you really don't know what you're talking about right now. Not that I understand eighth grade science. Um, it's usually me. And so they ask this kind of silly question. And Jesus says, you know what? Elijah's already come. John the Baptist was here. And now I'm here. The day is coming. There's a big thing about to happen. And they know it. And so there's this glory around them. And this realization that something huge is going to happen. And in the midst of all of it, they miss the fact that he said, going to rise from the dead. Because they're a little dense. In the next passage, we're actually going to jump over this one because I don't want to go too long with this. In the next little section, Jesus shows up and he casts a demon out of a child after all the disciples are trying to do it and they're unable to. And Jesus just shows up and says, get out of him, and that's it. Like he is super authoritative and authoritative in a way that he can command like, like evil to leave and they obey. Like there is this power and glory element at play. And so then when Jesus comes back and he says, I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be handed over, betrayed by one of you. They're going to nail me to a cross. They're going to bury me. They don't get it because they're like, well, how could that even happen? Right? How could that even happen? You're like, God. I mean, you know, nobody beats God. That's like... I. Sometimes when I get distracted or my brain goes numb while I'm studying or reading, I'll hop on YouTube and I'll watch old boxing matches. And I, I don't know, YouTube's wonderful that way. But you see some of these boxers, like some of these these older uh, boxers that were just titans and just unbeatable. And you watch them and you think, wow, nobody's ever going to knock that guy down, right? This is Jesus at this moment. They look at him and they're like, Who's going to face against you? Who's going to do anything? Like, you could command angels. You could do this. You could do that. And there is this this sense of, like, you are unbeatable. And because of that, they miss a chunk of what he's saying. And what he's saying is, there's a bad thing coming. But on the other end of it, there's a good thing coming. Right? Um, There is a miserable moment where I will be delivered, betrayed, into the hands of men. The same thing that happened to John the Baptist. It is coming. The world will be broken. I will be broken. I will be killed. Um, and on the third day, you'll be raised to life. When they were filled with grief. Because, because we're not very good at doing both. Are we? There's this great line where Paul talks about funerals. And Paul says, um, hey, look, we're not like the pagans. We don't mourn like they mourn. Right? We don't mourn like people who have no hope. We know there'll be a resurrection. We know that death is not the end. And so when we mourn, we mourn with joy. 
Well, how the heck, right? How do you mourn sad and happy at the same time? How do you weep in one moment and sing in the next? How do you, you know, feel broken over a bad thing and, and then feel overjoyed at the same time? And there's sometimes this tension in Christianity where you get around Christians. There are believers I've met who everything has to be happy and joyful all the time or your faith is broken. Right? And I've had people lecture me about that. Hey, you should not be sad right now because Jesus is risen and God will set it right. And it's like, yeah, but I'm sad. Like, this is it. Like, it's broken now, right? And if the world is broken now and we fail to grieve that, that's an awful thing. And so to a degree, their, their response is correct, but they missed the second half. And they don't get the second half until they're in the upper room. And Jesus walks amongst them, and they're like, wow, you're here, and you're alive again. They didn't even believe the women who went to the tomb. They had to go check it out for themselves. And then you get guys like Thomas who's like, well, until I put my finger in the hole, it's not real, you know. Okay, um, as we go through this season, I've discovered there's, you know, it's easy to emphasize one to the, the loss of the other, right? What's the holiday? Easter. What's the, the great thing? The resurrection. What's the great thing? Death is conquered. What's the great thing? Jesus is alive. What's the great thing? Jesus, like, proved his claims that he was God and he rose again. And, like, there's no fear in death and there's no this, there's no that. But without what? Without Good Friday, there is no Easter. And the reality is Good Friday is bad. I mean, this is a season where we rejoice, but we also mourn. You know why? Because on Good Friday, Christ suffers for my sins. Christ suffers for your sins. Christ suffers for every stupid, selfish thing I say. Christ suffers for the days that I am angry without purpose and nasty to the people around me. Christ suffers for the, the words I can't take back. Christ suffers for, for, for all of my wickedness, for my thoughts, my deeds, my everything. Like, like even the sins I don't know I'm committing, Christ carried all of that. And God looked at the cross and he poured his wrath out on Jesus. And that is what Christ suffered for. And like in this season, we, we approach this, and, and we, should, we should mourn over our sins. Well, we really should. But at the same time, we can rejoice and say, but Christ was raised. Um, I actually included the verse, and I, I cut it out because I, I, it, I didn't feel like it fit real well, but I'm going to kind of plug it in here. Like right before Christ was arrested, he sat in the garden, and he prayed, and he said, God, like Father, if it is possible, let this cup be passed from me. If I don't have to drink it, if there's any other way, I don't want to do this. But not my will, but your will be done. And so as we look at this brokenness, we can back up and say, Christ died for me and there's joy in it. This is the Father's will all along. Um, Jesus told his disciples at one point, Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when the baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So now with you, now is your time to grieve. But I will see you again and you will rejoice. And no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask 
me for anything. Very truly, I tell you, Father, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Um, We mourn the death. We mourn the cross. We mourn our sin. We mourn the brokenness of the world. But we celebrate and we rejoice that Christ is raised. And so, like, what do we do with this? Well, we're going through a season of preparation, right? Like, that's usually what we do in the time before Easter. Like, in our series, we're looking at Christ heading to Jerusalem, heading to the cross, knowing that this is the way that God chose to set things right, to reconcile us to him, right? And so, like, during this time, we should mourn and rejoice. Um, I know a lot of folks that will do, they give things up for Lent. Anybody do that? I don't. I, I don't give things up well. Um, but they'll, you know, I'm going to not eat not eat candy or not have coffee or I'm, I guess I'm giving up liver and onions for Lent. Um, like, but they do that because the idea is, oh, I should be sad coming up on it. But we shouldn't just be sad, right? Like, in everything in this season, we look to the day and we say, I mourn the brokenness. I mourn the shattered families. I mourn the depression and the anxiety in folks. I mourn the way that people mistreat each other and take advantage. I mourn the way people are selfish. I mourn the way that people misrepresent the gospel. I mourn the way that, that we suffer. But on the other end, I rejoice that God's about to set it all right. That's part of what we do when we do communion. I'm going to call my guys forward, and I'm going to talk about this a moment. Um, on the night that Christ was betrayed... He ate dinner with his disciples. And he gathered.